Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm your pastor here at 6 p.m., and it's so good to see you all. If you're new with us, I just want to say a big welcome. We love having you with us. You've probably worked it out by now that we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy. It's sort of oozed through all of our service. And I have just been so excited to see the way that we as a church family have just been hungry to go deeper in the Word. Um, Deuteronomy, you know, if we're being real, it's big. It's, it's, la- it's magisterial. It's, it's got a lot of hard work to be done to try and really understand it for our context. But I see a hunger in us. I think Deuteronomy's been good for us. Because I think Deuteronomy's been breaking down some of those simplistic pictures that we start to form about who our God is and add a little bit of complexity to try and take hold of some of those tensions that exist within the God who stands outside of time and space and actually help us as finite human beings to appreciate the infinite one. And that's so important that we do that. We should never expect that we could plumb the depths of the ocean or explore every star in space. And there's no sense in which we could ever map out the person of God. We need to consistently let him challenge us to reveal more of himself to us. Every time we open the word here at church, every time I hope you open the word at home by yourself, you're asking God, expand my vision of you. Show me more. Give me a greater taste of who you are. Challenge my preconceptions. Enlarge my picture of you. Bring complexity where I've brought simplicity. I think Deuteronomy's been doing that brilliantly. Last week, we talked about obedience. We talked about um, our tendency as Christians on this side of the cross of Jesus to elevate the mercy and grace of Jesus, but potentially to, to move down the chain, the, down the importance of Scripture, this idea that God is worthy of our obedience, that he's not just a savior, but he's a Lord. We actually need to bring those two things together, that when we see God in all of his holiness and majesty, that's when we can appreciate the love that he pours out on us. It's only when we know sin that we can appreciate grace. And I want to say we've got a similar complexity that we need to arrive to this morning, this morning, tonight, as we sit in Deuteronomy 12. Um, I hear a phrase common in Christianity, which I think can be helpful, but potentially is misleading. Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's helpful in some senses, because unlike any other religion, we're not depending upon our ritual observances, our sacrifices, our, our offerings to try and earn some favor from God. No, we've been saved by the blood of Jesus into a relationship with our Father. That's good. But can I say, I think sometimes we reduce that so that we forget that Christian people are at our very foundation, worshipers. We are worshipers. Yes, you get to enjoy God as your father. You are welcomed into the family of God, but appreciate a bit of tension, enjoy a bit of complexity. Within that family, we bow down in reverence and awe and give God the, the, the glory that he deserves. We must, because he's the glorious one. He's the great sun that shines upon this world. He holds all things together, and he demands our worship. So I want you to have your Bible open. If you haven't got your Bible open, get it now. Open it up. Deuteronomy 12. We're going to flick back and forth a little bit, and we're going to be considering this idea of worship from Deuteronomy and see what God might have for us today. The first thing, I think, to say about worship from Deuteronomy 12 is that God wants to dictate the way of worship the way that we worship him. He's got a strong, specific word for Israel as they stand on the edge of the promised land, preparing to go into a way of life that he's prepared for them, and he wants to instruct them on what it looks like to worship. Moses is super aware that he's about to die. 
That's huge, right? Can you imagine what your last sermon would be as a pastor if you knew that you were about to breathe your last? He's standing on the edge of this promised land, preparing the people of God to go. These are his final words. And he dedicates a couple of chapters of Deuteronomy to instruct them how they're supposed to worship God, the way of their worship. So look with me at verses 1 to 4, starting from verse 2, actually. He says, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains. Verse 3, break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, burn their Asherah poles, cut down the idols of their gods, wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. How often do you get a sermon that just starts with a bang, a negative, don't do this, right? That's where Moses goes. Why? Because if you want to worship God in the way that he wants you to worship him, you cannot follow the pattern of the world around you. The way that every other religion, every other set of beliefs approaches and worships God is not the way that God wants his people to worship. And he doesn't say just you know, move it to the side, put it out on your lawn, and instead in your home, worship differently. Did you notice the strength of this? Destroy it. Break it down. Smash it. Burn it. Don't have any space within your life for any pattern of worship that isn't the way that God has given you because he deserves it all. How does he want them to worship? Verse 5. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts. Um, This is, if you've spent some time in the Old Testament, referring to the temple of God, the temple that Solomon will eventually build in Jerusalem for the people to come as a centralized place where everyone who would call themselves a person of the nation of Israel can come and they can offer their worship to God. Why is this so different from the nations that are already there? I mean, they have their high places where you go to worship. They have their Asherah poles that they use for worship. How is this different? Well, I want you to notice the, the language that he uses here. He says, you're to seek the place the Lord your God will choose among from all your tribes to put his name. To put his name. That, that's important. Did you notice names capitalized? That should draw your attention. This is important, right? Um, if I was to open a bakery and call it Nick's Awesome Bakery, you know, that's a, that's a lovely title for a bakery. If anyone wants to go into business with me later, we'll talk afterwards. But, you know, I put my name in it. I put my name in the bakery. You come up to that bakery, there's some truth to what you learn from that name. It's descriptive. This is Nick's bakery. But apart from that, it's just like every other bakery, right? You come in, you get some baked goods, and you leave. Um, That's not what we're talking about here. God hasn't just said, God's temple. No, when we talk about the name of God, there's something far more serious and significant going on here. Do you remember that story of Moses by the burning bush? Sunday school loves it. It's that moment where there's this enormous, well, it's not supposed to be a little bush, like just picture an enormous bush. God is speaking out of this fire that's not consuming the bush. And Moses is coming up with every excuse in the book to get out of the job of going to Egypt and telling the Pharaoh what's what, right? He's scared. So he's like, well, I'm not very good at public speaking. Um, I'm not very impressive or powerful. God, I'm not ready for it. One of the excuses he comes up with as he's talking with God, he says, well, what am I supposed to say when I go? Who sent me? And so God in that moment reveals to Moses, reveals to us his name. What did he call himself? I am. I am. Not I was, not I will be, not I'm temporarily here. I am. The great I am. Revelation takes up this idea and he says, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, the alpha and the omega, the great I am. This temple is significant because God is putting his name there. What does that mean? Look with me. Verse 7, there in the presence of the Lord your God. He puts his 
his very presence in this building. The temple's not just important as like this one place. So, hey, while we're about to go into this new land, let's get it straight before we get there. Where are we going to worship? You know, it's not just this centralized spot for the sacrifices. It's centralized because it's the very place where the presence of God exists. Can you imagine if I told you right now, the Neutral Bay Club has recently been filled with the presence of God, right? You'd be like, well, church was great. I enjoyed the songs and, you know, the prayers were really moving. But I want to get to the Neutral Bay Club, because they have VB on tap and the presence of God is there, right? You're thinking, this, I want that. I want to encounter the living God. Can you imagine what it would have been like to step into this enormous temple? And right at the center of it is this place called the, the Holy of Holies, separated by a curtain. No one could step in there because you can't encounter the holiness of God as a sinful person. That's the presence of God. We would run and flock to it if we really understood what it meant to experience the presence of God. Don't you want that? Don't you wish we had that? You do. You do. The New Bay Club is great, but it has nothing on what God offers you. I, want you. I want you to just not move past this. If you've been a Christian for a while, you might have heard some of these ideas before, but I want you to really understand what's going on here. The Israelites had a strict place and a strict regulation, ritual, to approach God in worship. And, and Moses is dictating it here. You have so much more. In John 1, 14, this is speaking about Jesus, the very Word of God who holds all things together. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. You could go to a single building and hope to experience something of the presence of God, or you could encounter the infinite one in the form of a man and open up His Word, the very Word Himself, speaking in power and glory because He stepped onto this earth he made his presence not just known in a building, but he, he existed among us. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have sat and talked with God over a nice lunch at the Nutribay Club? Can you imagine what it would have been like to experience a relationship with this Jesus, the King of glory and of grace? Well, you don't have to. Because he's given us much more than if he was here right in this room right now. He's given us the Spirit the Spirit of God that dwells within us so that we don't call this, this building a place where God dwells. You and I are the place where the Spirit of God dwells. You have the presence of God within you right now if you know Jesus. Here's what John says to, to tell us how to read a chapter like this, Deuteronomy 12. John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman by the well. You might know the story. It's a beautiful um, picture of his mercy to a woman in, in such dire straits in her life. But she's trying to deflect from the real stuff as we all do when we encounter God. And we don't really want to get to our sin and our brokenness. So she's come up with reasons to talk about something else with Jesus. She says, Jesus, um, you Jewish people, you worship God in the temple, Deuteronomy 12. Um, we Samaritans, we have this great mountain that we like. We worship God there. What do you do with that? You know? And Jesus, in this beautiful way that he has, manages to capture big theological truth and recast it in the presence of her life. Right? And here's what he says. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Not in a building, not in a place. In the spirit. In the spirit. John chapter 14, Jesus is about to die on a cross and go into heaven. He wants to comfort his disciples. What does he tell them? And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Notice that language. And be with you forever. 
you were right now on the ordinariness of this Sunday at 6.48 p.m., the eternal God who, who spoke the universe into being exists with you forever. I mean, Israel, you can keep your temple. I'm happy here. I'm really happy to experience the presence of God in, in the spirit of God. And so as we are a people who, who don't have a certain place to go to offer sacrifices and worship, we are the people that God dwells within. We've lifted the bar on worship. We haven't reduced it, okay? And we, we looked at this earlier this year, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is what worship looks like for a people who worship in spirit and truth. This is what Paul calls for us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to ufa, <laughs> to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Israel is being told by Moses, hey, there's going to be a place, and this is where you bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices. Jesus says to you by the Apostle Paul, you are the place. You are the temple of the living God. You have God with you. And I'm not going to ask you to bring off sacrifices and offerings to yourself. You're the sacrifice too. And this is a comfort. This is beautiful that God is with us all the time by the, the glory of his power. But it's also really confronting that no longer can we just save it for a single day where we bring our lamb and offer it in worship. Every single moment of your life, you're the sacrifice. Problem with the living sacrifice? Pretty easy to crawl off the altar. Right? God demands our worship not in a ritual, regulated, formulated way, and he might have, as we read the Old Testament, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, but he does demand our worship, and he wants all of you. Every corner of your soul, every compartment of your life. Do you know God like that? Do you worship God like that? So it said that humans... Are worshippers, always worshipping. Um, the image that someone used once that I really liked is, it's like every human's got a fire hose of worship that they're holding on to, right? And it's like it's just been turned on full and the tap's been broken. You can't turn it off. You're always pouring out your worship in front of you. The question is, what are you pouring it on? Where are you, where are you offering your worship? Moses understood that humans are always worshippers. That's why he said there's no room in your land for these other gods because you'll be tempted to worship them. It's not neutral, for us, it's, I don't think you've got Asherah or Baal in your home. Maybe you do, and you should get rid of that, you know, break down those altars, all right? But I think it's more the worldly things that capture our attention and entice us to live after them. We're always shooting worship out of our fire hose. What are you offering it towards? Hear the words of Moses again. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains. Break down their altars. Smash their sacred stones. Burn their Asherah poles. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. This is not a call to go and tear apart the shopping center as you know, the, the, the temple of worship to materialism. Um, we are not taking upon ourselves the duty of cleansing the land of other worship. But this is a call for you and I, as the people of God, will you cut all idolatry out of your life? There's no room for it. You can only have one God and one king, and his name is Jesus, okay? I want you to hear... Kill the sin in your life before it kills you. Don't, don't mess around with other gods. You're always worshiping. Hear the wisdom of Moses. Cut it out. Remove it completely. Would, you, would we be a people 
that are just ready to worship God in every moment. Not just here on a Sunday, you know, we're just singing, clapping our hands and singing our songs. We'll be a people that just worship God with absolutely everything. So that's the first thing. That's the way of worship. Um, the second thing to say about worship from Deuteronomy 12 is the community of worship. And I'm pretty happy to leave it with that first point. I'm really comfortable with that. I love the idea that I've got the Spirit within me. Uh, me, Nick Wood, has the eternal Spirit of God within him. Awesome. I love the idea, and I'm challenged by the idea that I need to offer all of my life as worship. And so I'm ready to go home and do some hard work. How am I going to worship God with my work? How am I going to worship God in my family? How am I going to worship God with my money? How am I going to worship God on the basketball court when I really want to knock that guy over? Um, how am I going to worship God in all of the parts of my life, right? And I want you to do that hard work. That's important. But I think we tend to individualize the scriptures too much. Did you notice that this entire sermon is declared before the entire nation of Israel? It's not a sermon for Nick Wood. It's a sermon for the people of God. And did you notice that the content of what he's calling them to, the, the way of their worship, it's a communal form of worship. And that doesn't get broken down in the New Testament, where suddenly we just start speaking to individuals all of a sudden. No, we, we are saved into the saving grace of Jesus as individuals, you specifically. God knows you, he sees your sin, and he washes it away completely. But when God saves an individual, he gathers them into a people. When God saves an individual, he gathers them into the people. God rescues this dis, this. this people of, of all sorts of baggage from Egypt, and he leads them into this land, and he's gathering them together as the holy people of Israel. That's what he's doing here in Deuteronomy, and that's what he does with us. He takes you, a lost sinner, and he brings you into the flock of God. He takes you, an individual believer, and he grafts you into the church. I want you to see it from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 12, verse 7, there in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and rejoice. 12 verse 12, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your town. Flip over to chapter 16. We've got these three different festivals that Moses is prescribing Israel to follow. But can you just stop there for a moment? They're festivals. You don't do festivals by yourself. How lonely would that be? Yeah, I'm going to the festival, and you turn up, and it's just this giant field and a bunch of tents, and it's just you. You're just kind of sitting there really tired and lonely eating your kebab by yourself, right? That, that sucks. The festivals are a communal activity where God's calling his people together. There's the Passover festival. There's the festival of, of weeks. There's the festival of tabernacles. And each one of them is filled with this communal moment where Israel that's been scattered over this whole promised land is going to come together to a singular place because that's important, the unified people of God, so, we need to know that we aren't doing the Christian life as lone rangers, going solo, just trying to work it out ourselves. Hey, I can promise you, there are better preachers online than me. It's true. Hard to believe, I know, but it's true. It's true. You can go online and you can listen to some fantastic preachers. You don't need to come here for the teaching. You can go somewhere else for that. Um, you know, I love our band. Absolutely fantastic but you can go on YouTube and listen to any band that you like that's leading you in worship. You can, you can get the spiritual content of church anywhere, but that's not the point because God has orchestrated his kingdom that we would be gathered into a specific people at a specific place to worship him. To worship him. 
Individuals are saved. Individuals are important, but they're grafted into the church of Christ. The church is described as the bride of Jesus. He cares about the church. He cares about you as an individual, but he cares about you as a member of the church. We talked about John 4 and John 15 and the way that we're filled with the Spirit as individuals and the presence of God is with us. But look with me here at 1 Corinthians 3.16. It's going to come up on the screen. Don't you know that you yourselves, notice yourselves, not yourself, yourselves, are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. Deuteronomy 12, go to this building. That's where the presence of God is. New Testament in Jesus, go meet with the people of God, because that's where God is. Now, it's true. There's never a moment in your individual life that God is not with you, but there is a really unique and significant way that God is present with us right now, here, 6 p.m., We just have to open our eyes to the fact that right now, we've just gathered as the temple of God. Right now in this room, the Spirit of God is among us. He's with us. He's having his way with us. He's working amongst us. So you might say, Nick, all I need is one sermon or two sermons a week to fill my spiritual tank. That's that's totally fair. You say, Nick, I can only handle once a month sermon from you. That's that's cool. I I get that. Um, But, but, you were made to be here. Here. Not, Not just... not just, you know, the stage and the content. It's the community. The people that you're sitting on the pews with right now, the people in front of you, the people behind you, God has brought you here into this family of God to worship him. Don't miss that. It's worship, but in community, in family. Now, I'm not speaking to anyone in particular here. I I just want to ask, when did we get okay with once or twice attendance at church a month? Like, when did that become okay? I remember a couple of years ago, I was talking to some pastors. They said, oh, man, we only really get our church members three times a month. we really got to work on that. How do we get worse rather than better since that moment? Just put aside the fact that we miss you when you're not here. Put aside the fact that we're actually deficient when you're not here. We're the body of Christ, right? If we don't have the foot, walking's going to be pretty tricky. We need you here. Put aside those realities, those truths. If God has called you not to be a lone ranger following God on your own, you need to prioritize church. And I don't have a horse in the race. I'm not talking about 6 p.m. Feel free to go to any other service. Feel free to make your home any other church. The the kingdom of God is big and wide, okay? You can find your spiritual home with with God's family in, in any church you like. But wherever you land, commit. Commit. Are you committed to being a part of this family? Because that's what God calls us to, worship in community. And the last one's a little bit more fun. I'm really happy to finish on this note. We've talked about the way of worship, the community of worship. Now we're going to talk about the joy of worship. The joy, everyone loves joy. It'll make you feel good. Yeah, happy. Okay. Um, We've talked about it already. Worship is awe and reverence. It's giving the glory to God that God deserves. But God in his goodness doesn't sort of sit in heaven in his glory and power and demand that we fall on our knees in worship. Um, you know, that might be a, a proper, proper response. But it's not like he's distant and demanding that we offer our praises to him because at the same time as he demands our worship and our, our, our awe and reverence, he equally fills us up with a measure of joyfulness and happiness and gladness in his presence. Did you notice that as we read Deuteronomy 12 and 16? Often you think about the Old Testament, it's that boring, dry old ritual and sacrifice. Did you see how often the word joy or rejoice came up? I'll just give you a whirlwind tour. 12 verse 7, you shall rejoice in everything you put your hand to. 12 verse 12, and there, rejoice before the Lord your God. 
16, um, again, let's just big picture, these are festivals, they're also known as feasts. You're not supposed to sit there at a feast with you, oh, life's so hard, me eating this delicious roast lamb and having a wonderful time at this party, it's just so hard. It's a joyful moment, right? And so you've got these feasts where God calls people together to feast in His presence and to rejoice. 1611, rejoice before the Lord your God at the places He will choose as a dwelling for His name. 1614, be joyful at your festival. 1615, and your joy will be complete. There is joy when we worship God in the way of God. There is joy when we worship God in the way of God. You're thinking, Nick, I haven't had a joyful time tonight. That's fair enough. Um, Maybe sometimes when you open your Bible, you're like, well, it's actually not very joyful. I'm I'm trying to worship him, but I'm not. Read with me from Psalm 1611. It's going to come up on the screen. Um, The psalmist is speaking the truths that he knows to God. He says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I want you to just focus on that phrase, joy in your presence. I think sometimes the reason we don't experience joy in our worship is because we keep God at arm's length. We don't actually step into, at least from our experience, the presence of God. Instead, our mind is on the things of our world and our heart is set on the problems and the struggles that are going on around us. We, we're singing the words in church, but our head's somewhere else, and we're listening to Nick preach at us, but we're really not listening to what he has to say. I think often we, we miss out on the joy because we're not really worshiping. And I think that just shines through in the Deuteronomy verses because it talks about the joy that comes from God, but there's equally a command that runs through where he says, rejoice as if like you have an option to not rejoice or to rejoice. And I think that's true for us when we gather together in community to worship God. Will you rejoice in God? Will you choose to experience the joy in His presence? Will you choose to delight in God above all else? And I love that God designs this, that the closer that we get to Him in His holiness and our sinfulness, the more that we're aware of our deficiency before Him, the more that we fall on our faces in worship of Him, is the more that we experience the joy that He offers. I love this because when God calls you to all of life worship, He gives you so much more than you could have ever imagined. He says, "You want to." Jesus speaks to His disciples, you want to find your life? Lose it. You want to gain the whole world? Be willing to give up your soul. It's it's when we come and just say, God, you can have everything, that he says, well, I'll give you more than you could have ever given me. That's where we find the joy in the presence of God. But I I want to just acknowledge the fact that Deuteronomy is speaking about the gathering of God's people at the temple. He's talking about rejoicing in the presence of God in community. And I think that there should be a special sense of joy when we gather in the presence of God together as a church, together in community. And I think sometimes we fear that joy because, one, we don't want to ruin the solemnness of worship. And I just think that's a fair comment. Like, you you know that God is worthy of worship, and so you kind of want to be distant and reverent. But can I say that God wants to draw you in closer so that you can, be, you can be reverent in your worship and still be clapping your hands to the Lord and experiencing the joy of God because you know him as your father. Yes, he is the holy one, but he's your holy father. And as he draws you in, you experience joy. Another reason I think that we fear joy is because we don't want to succumb to emotionalism or to, to focusing too much on spiritual experience. And I think that's a good thing to be afraid of. There are churches that, that um, hear that verse in John 4, we're going to worship in spirit and in truth. 
You know, we, we keep the truth kind of out in the corner, and we just want to come and have this, this moment where we rejoice in God, but we're deficient if we're about our emotions rather than about the truth of God. It's actually through the truth of God that we experience the joy of God. Can I suggest that perhaps if we're afraid of that, we might have reacted a little bit too far? That there still should be joy in our worship. And can I say, we should see it. <laughs> we should see it. The psalmist talks so much about just joyful worship of God. He talks about making a joyful noise, not a rhythmic noise, so you don't need to feel like you need to clap in time. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. He talks about raising arms in surrender and worship. He talks about all of these different things that we express our joy. And I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about our prayers together. Is there a sense of joy as we sit together as the community of God? Pray to Him. As you hear the word preached and you sit there, do you just feel your soul filling with joy at points as God speaks to you? All of our gatherings, like Israel, God's saying, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in your worship. But can we talk about music for a minute? Because I think it's important. Music is a beautiful thing that God has given us in worship. Because it, it does stir our affections in a way that nothing else does. It, it brings out those things that we feel and give us an opportunity to express that joy in a wonderful way. Hey, I've been a 16-year-old broken up with a girl. What do you do when you're in that moment? Turn on some sad music, right? You get into bed. and that's, you, that, The music amplifies how you're feeling. I've had those moments of trying. Whenever I used to warm up for a basketball game, I had this playlist that I would play. Because music had this sense of being able to just get me pumped and get me ready, get me in the right space. Music is powerful in the way that it connects our head and our heart. And music is given to us to worship God really specifically. It's not our only worship. We're all of life worshipers. And our whole gathering, it's worship. This is a worship service. But our music is a moment to worship and to worship in joy. So that's why you're going to see me every Sunday, two hands in the air, blocking your view of the screen, because I think God's worthy of my worship and I want to rejoice in Him. And can I say there are some Sundays where I don't necessarily feel particularly great. It's not that like, wow, Nick's always happy. You know, that's not what's going on here. It's a moment where I'm saying, regardless of the mess of my life, I'm going to choose to worship God. And as I step into His presence, I expect Him to meet me with joy. And now I'm not suggesting that everyone else gets two hands in the air and blocks the screen, but I am suggesting that we should express our worship. You can, and some people, this is exactly what you need to do. You can put both your hands in the pockets, look up to the screen, and sing your songs, and you are just deeply enjoying God in that moment. And can I say, praise the Lord if that's you. Don't feel pressure. There's a freedom in the way that we worship God. But can I just push us a little bit, that if we are a people who know the joy of God, well, let's express it. Let's, let's, let's be that. Let's embody that. Sometimes you walk into a church, and people are singing about the glorious truths of Jesus, and it's like, did someone die? Like, everyone looks in pain, you know? You know, it's okay if you're not someone who's very expressive, but some of us are. Like, this is a, this is a community that, that is in the, we are the temple of the living God, worshiping Him in spirit and truth. And that's a space where we get to encounter the, the joy of God. Um, and let me just say, it's not just about our gatherings. Christian people should be joyful people. That just runs through the whole of Scripture. We're promised persecution and pain, and yet we're supposed to be the people of joy. Why? Because the gospel brings joy to all situations. Kim, I just think you embody that beautifully, the way you stood up here and over mic and your confidence in the Lord. It's not about our situation circumstances. Christian people who know the hope of Jesus can have joy in every season. Let's let that be who we are as a 6 p.m. family. This is not just a sermon that you walk away with and, and think about individually. This needs to define our community needs to become who we are. We already are this, but I want to see more of it. We want to see more. God wants to see more of it. 
So let's remember, we are worshipers. We, we know the Father. We love Him. We experience His love, but He deserves all of our worship. We do it together. We do it in joy. Let me pray that God might give that to us. Father Almighty, You are so good. You are so splendid and glorious in Your holiness, and You deserve all worship. But the fact that You look upon us as sinful people and You offer us immense joy in Your presence, we just can barely contain that offer. The fact that you say that every single one of us has your spirit within us, the, the presence of God himself. God, we can barely contain our, our expression at that. You are so good. Lord, would you please just continue to, to weave the fabric of scripture, the pattern of worship that you've set here into our community here at 6 p.m. Would you make us more and more a people of worship? Would you help us to commit to one another as the family that you've brought here and would you help us to experience a deep joy as we worship you? We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.